Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment, or they can provide you with a complete timing solution, including deck harnesses, buttons, and starter. SST is fully compatible with HiTech and Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more and be sure to tell them I sent you. One of the best ways to build power in the pool is by using a tower. I got introduced to Chuck Destro. Because of the way Chuck designed them, they can break down and ship in a much smaller box so they can ship anywhere in the world for a reasonable price. Use code BRETT at checkout and save $150 on a double swim tower. That means if you order two, you can save $300. Order four, save $600. Go to destromachines.com to get your team stronger in the water today. I'd like to introduce our newest sponsor, Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for, event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. All right, Jamal Hill, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? Doing well, Brother Hawk. Thank you for having me on today, sir. You look sharp, man. You're looking good. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. You know, it's, uh, what do they say? Perception is everything, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You, know, you got to look good. Look good, feel good. Listen, man, um, I feel like I'm late to the party. I feel like you're just, you're just everywhere all of a sudden, man. Like, <laughs> where did you come from? Like, you're just taking the world by storm. It's awesome, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Listen, you're definitely not late to the party. Believe it or not, you're still early. <laughs> um you know think think like think bitcoin in in 2013 you know there's some people that were on it since 2008 but you're definitely way ahead of the 2020 train i'm good good, I feel good then. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us man about yourself uh listen you just competed in the uh paralympic trials right yes, and sir. qualified for the team for uh for tokyo congratulations yeah. appreciate that sir thank you tell me how that went well how was how'd the week go um honestly man strong week uh for me so i was actually i'm um, from la inglewood yep. california uh yep. our trials were not in omaha our trials were in uh minneapolis minnesota 
Okay. And um, really, man, uh, my my strategy going into a meet over the past year or two has always been, well, let me rewind. For COVID, if the meet is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we now have to be there on Monday, right, for COVID protocols, which I kind of like. But uh, I usually get into the city the Friday before the Monday we have to be there. Um, and I go around, I go see all the sites, I hit the bars, you know, <laughs> I, I went to the Mall of America, got on the indoor roller coasters, um, and I just have a good time, and I really celebrate all the training that has gone into this point, you know, and just really mm-hmm. like to feel like I'm already a champion, I'm already a winner, regardless of how this goes, so came into it, normal plan has always had a freaking blast the weekend before, um, you know, felt at home the whole week. And uh, when it came time to compete, I competed in the 100-meter backstroke, the 100-meter free, and the 50-meter freestyle. Uh, mind you, in the Paralympics, there are different classifications. Um, so my 100-meter backstroke needs a lot of work. It's a new stroke for me. Um, so I'm hoping next year by World Championships to be a little bit more competitive in that. And the 100-meter freestyle, um, it won't be an event for my category at the Tokyo Paralympics, uh, but I have an opportunity to swim up so just imagine like if it was boxing and you could fight a weight class higher um so that's what that is i swam the 100 meter freestyle fought a weight class higher ended up coming in second overall with a couple best times on the weekend and then the 50 meter freestyle man uh just came in there nice and zinned out um completely let go of all expectations uh no pressure on me and um broke the american record in the morning and then came back later that night, man, I had a terrible start, terrible breakout, but was still able to re-break the American record. So that just goes to show that, you know, even in a short race like the 50, obviously every detail matters, but um, you can still have a good swim even when things don't all go your way. So that's what locked me into the team. 50 freestyler at home, man. Yeah, yes, sir. Like <laughs> Speaking <laughs> with the great right here. <laughs> um, what is the American record? What, what time did you go? Absolutely. So the new American record now is 25-3, 25-3-something. As Brett's like, come on, bro. You don't know your time? <laughs> you just gotta it was, keep it was like a 25-3 mid. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like good. a 25-3 mid. And what about the world record for your classification? The What's world about? record for my class is, I believe, a 24.09. So I do know that. That's yeah, quick. It's, That's it's a 20. Quick. It's hey. It's quick, man. It's quick. And uh, the beautiful thing about it is like, you know, I'm not one to make predictions. I, I don't get on the show and say I'm doing this and doing that. I think, I, honestly, I don't see it ever usually working out for athletes to do that. It adds a whole nother level of pressure. Um, yeah. But I will say this. Mind you, uh, last year I was swimming 27s and 26 highs. Right now, I'm swimming 25 through. We got another eight weeks. We got a strong system. And as you already know, plenty of people show up to the Olympics and Paralympics and don't swim the best time they've ever had in their life. They don't Mm -hmm. break an American record or a world record. So it's still just another meet, you know, another opportunity. You just got to get up on those blocks and, and leave it all in the water. Absolutely, man. I want to I want to dig into that a little bit more. But listen, I I saw pictures of you recently. You you signed with Speedo. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Yo, appreciate that. Um, man, you look like you're cut out of marble. I mean, <laughs> I don't. When I look at you, I don't see any visible signs of any yes, disability. So, talk to me about your, your disability that you do actually have. Absolutely, I'm so glad you say that. That is most people's experience when they meet me, right? Uh, and so I'm a part of this class of invisible disability. 
um, that really challenges the stigma of what we perceive disability to be, right? It's like mm -hmm. missing limb, uh, blind, something like mm -hmm. something that people can immediately relate to and just call out, right? Right. Um, so, so I'm outside of that range. I actually live with a type of neuropathy called Charcot Marie Tooth, CMT for short, Charcot Marie Tooth. And uh, it's a hereditary neuropathy. It onset in my body when I was 10 years old. So I went from being a normal kid um, to pretty much going into a state of full body paralysis when this condition is fully inflamed, hospitalized for a few weeks my body began to recover and then i was left with this new body um and so despite the aesthetic right like i have an extremely strong core we work really hard at it but my peripheral nerves so the nerves from my knees to the soles of my feet operate at zero percent nerve capacity mm -hmm. and the nerves from my elbow to my fingertips operate at 30 percent nerve capacity um so just kind of put that into into context for for the average person it feels like i'm walking on my kneecaps if mm. someone were to like give me a, which is a test for the Paralympics, right? They got to make sure you're not cheating this, that, and the other. Um, if someone were to give me like an electro shock or something in my lower legs, I don't feel anything. I, I don't feel that. Um, if if you've ever seen Kill Bill, right? I know you've seen mm. Kill Bill, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Right? Classic. <laughs> Classic. Uma Thurman, she comes out of the coma. She she's she's in the parking lot of the hospital, and she's right. trying to convince her toe to wiggle. That's right. me. Only my toe never wiggles. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. So um, that, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And and again, like because it doesn't fit into that stigma, uh, you know, in everyday life, I experience this kind of privilege. You know, like I'm able to blend in more. Right. Like nobody is staring at me when I walk into a room because of something they perceive that I lack. However, understandably so in the Paralympic space, it's almost a. Uh, you know, I wish I had a better word here, but it's not a privilege. It's almost like a disadvantage, right? Because now, you know, even people who are classifying me and, and the doctors, the, the, the other competitors, um, the officials, they're put in this space where the, the, these kind of natural biases that we all have are being extremely challenged, right? And we kind of have to begin to accept and broaden this view of disability and how it affects people outside of just what the naked eye can perceive and what we can put our finger on. So mm. uh, that's, that's, that's what the experience is like, man. You know, if you call my doctor up, they'll say, hey, Jamal Hill should not be able to walk based upon this neuropathy. I was going to say that. How are you able to walk? Because, you know, for somebody that can't feel the lower half of their legs, it must be a very weird sensation to actually be walking, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so at this point, I've been living with it for 16 years. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the difference at this point in time. You know, this this is my life. Uh, but I'll say that over the past 16 years, I've you no, know, I'm a human being. Right. Like humans are animals in general, but especially humans are magnificent creatures. Um, I've developed some pretty impressive compensation patterns over the years. So mm. actually my lower lumbar. So the area between like my glutes and, you know, right to the middle of my back. I have these massive growths around in that area and they act as pretty much stabilizers to help me stay upright. Um, and, you know, uh, even when we talk about walking, imagine this, this is great right here. Imagine a double, you know, above knee amputee with prosthetic lower legs, right? Mm -hmm. When that person takes a step, that lower leg, you know, has to have a certain uh, has to have a certain line of energy for the person to be able to put their weight on it and leverage to move forward. Right. All right. That's my experience.
So like I'm walking on my knees and just my lower limbs happen to be, you know, flesh and bone prosthetics at this point. So when I take, I take small steps for a big guy, um, you know, going uphill and downhill. I'm glad I live in California because if I lived in an icy place, it would be dangerous. Mm. Um, but that, that's pretty much it. You know, just when we kind of come back down to less about what, you know, and this is no shade to doctors, but less about like what Western medicine or, or science says is possible and more about just like the basis of human physiology, right? Like how was Jamal Hill able to walk? How were there people in the Paralympic movement with no arms and no legs able to swim faster than you and I probably know right now today? How is that possible? Um, so that, <laughs> without going too far down that rabbit hole, uh, that's how, man. You know, lots of practice, uh, lots of grace, and uh, honestly, just greater belief in myself um, than, than some book somewhere that's telling me what I shouldn't be able to do. That's pretty outstanding, man. Um, listen, I've been around enough paralympians to to be inspired by everything and anything man i've seen it all i actually uh I actually when i was a younger athlete myself i uh i had lunch with a with a paralympic um athlete who didn't have any arms and he came to lunch and the person that was hosting lunch put out a spread of of sandwiches where you had to kind of make the sandwiches yourself mm. and so it, it, for me, I was a little uncomfortable at first because he didn't have arms. And I said to him, I said, hey, you want me to get you something? He said, no, man, I got this. He put his feet up on the table. He got the bread. He he put butter on the bread. He, yep. he put some, you know, lettuce and tomato and, and you know, what he needed. And he, he folded that sandwich and he started eating that thing with his That's feet. It, I'm like, <laughs> just like, I think we put limits on ourselves in terms of what we can do and really – there's no limits. I there's mean, no limits. there really is no limits, is there? There's no limits, man. There, there's absolutely no limits. And even, you know, this, this is interesting, you know, cause uh, I do a lot of studying, um, a lot of reading and just in the spirit of no limits, uh, one, one theme that's been constant for me and great that we're talking about swimming right now is Bruce Lee, right? Everyone's favorite quote about Bruce Lee, be like water. Mm -hmm. um, and they're really being, zero separation right like we're both we're, we're we're everything and we're nothing at the same time and you know i don't want to take over and, and direct the show different than you know what we have scheduled here but just even with that mindset of be like water and there's really no separation you know when i when i visualize myself and you know, when i do my micro visualizations like 20 seconds a few times a day of me coming out and then getting onto the blocks um, i'm coming out i'm 10 feet tall and then when i step onto those blocks I disappear. There's no longer Jamal Hill. There's only a block there. I'm one with the block, and then there's only air, right? And then there's water. And I don't see Jamal Hill, but I see this water being displaced in different ways as if there were a body there. And as soon as that water comes into the scene, the water's at the wall, right? Because it's already at both walls. Um, and and uh, the point I'm getting at here is that just uh, a relatively st still body of water, you know, uh, like a uh, uh, a low, you could say, I guess, like a, a, a low frequency or low cadence body of water is going to move anywhere from zero to 3.3 meters per second. OK, we're not talking about some raging river here. We're talking about even still just a still body of water has that much motion in it that's not visible to the naked eye. So it's like if we're able to close that gap between who we perceive ourselves to be in this infinite amount of universe and space that, that we're all tapped into, 
it's like, why can't Caleb Dressel or, or whoever comes next swim down that 50-meter pool in 16 seconds? Why can't Jamal Hill swim down that pool in, in 23 seconds? Why, you know, why not? Um, and, and I think that's anyone's greatest challenge is overcoming that disbelief. Mm. Um, and then obviously continue to put into the work, right? You always still got to have the work. Man, you're at another level of consciousness, really. You know, like we spend so much time <laughs> studying champions like Michael Phelps. You know, we're amazed at his accomplishments, but and, and so we should be. But I think I think people could learn so much from you and where you're at in your mental state and transfer that into their own lives because you're dealing with a disability and overcoming that uh, in such an incredible fashion that I think there's and even just what you said there, I was just you know, like mesmerized. I'm like, man, this guy's on a whole other level, man. I'm I'm super impressed. Hey, man, I've tuned into your show. I knew if there was one place where I could bring out, you know, mm-hmm. my my craziness, it, this was the place, man. I I figured you would appreciate that. Uh, we we would have a good conversation. I love it, man. I love it absolutely. And I actually read something about you, which kind of um related to me a little bit. I grew up with severe asthma as a kid, actually. I was in hospital for the first uh, six years of my life, in and out. I'd be two weeks in, you know, a couple of days out, two weeks in, you know, on and off for six years. Um, And I I suffered from something a little bit similar to you from what I read about. And you said there was a little bit of shame initially in your your condition, in your diagnosis as a kid. Talk to me about that, first of all. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, today, what is July 2020, the first day of July 2021. And I think, uh, you know, the world we're living in is, is a lot more accepting. Um, sometimes a little fake accepting, right? But like we're mm-hmm. trying, we're in a better space, right? Everyone is a little bit more woke and aware mm-hmm. uh, that <laughs> that people come in different shapes, sizes and colors and economic backgrounds. And it's still, they're still human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as I'm thinking back into, uh, you know, what is that like 2005, 2004, um, it was a different world. Uh, you know, I've now been diagnosed with some disability and, you know, initially just internally me and my parents, right. I'm a 10 year old kid. I'm not making any decisions at this point outside of myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, they made this decision for me. They're like, Hey, look, dude, whatever you want to accomplish, whatever you want to be, we're not going to let this diagnosis or some book or some doctors tell you what you can or cannot be or do. Like they say you can't play sports. We're not telling you anything about that, Jamal. They say you shouldn't be able to do this. We're not telling you anything about that. So from the time that I had this experience, all I really ever had was an experience. Mm. Right. All I knew was that I was relatively regular, a kid still trying to figure out his body to now I can't move my body at all. To now I'm in this, what feels like a new body that I still have to figure out, mm. um, you know? And so that, that was the full context. I didn't have a name for the disease. I didn't know really what had happened to me. We didn't have that conversation. And I think as parents, what they were doing was shielding me from, you know, just adopting other people's ideas and beliefs as my own. Uh, so that's number one. And that was empowering. However, on the flip side, mm. Again, me understanding to some degree that like I am a hundred percent different. My feet and toes are curled. My my calves and lower legs are about just as wide as my forearms. Um, I'm not that good at jumping. 
I'm not that good at running. I look like a physical specimen, but then like when you put me up, you know, in this situation where it's a foot race or this competition, it's like, well, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? I never wanted anyone to think of me as less than. Mm. And obviously to some degree, like I had to have considered myself as less than, otherwise I wouldn't have projected that. I didn't want anyone to consider me as less than. I didn't want anyone to to think like, oh man, you know, even like you said, like you said, Brent, uh, you can't really see my disability. So mm -hmm. the last thing I wanted to be was the guy who's just up here making excuses for himself. You know, <laughs> like right. this kid Jamal has got an excuse for everything. Oh, I can't do this because of this. I can't, you know, so uh, there was a lot of ego involved in it. And, uh, you know, again, like it, it both served me and disturbed me because tied in with that ego was shame, right? Like I wasn't willing to accept Jamal. I wasn't willing to accept um, an individual that, that didn't meet this model of, you know, an average perfect human being, um, especially being honestly a black man. And just in this world, like you kind of feel like even at a young age, like you get it right. Like everybody's like, dude, you got to try 10 times as hard, this, that, and the other, all the narratives is like, well, the last thing I can afford is another strike against me right now. So, hmm. um, I'm just going to ignore it. And, and, uh, again, like it helped me to grow stronger physically, but mentally and emotionally, um, that that it eventually reached a point of climax where I had to shed this false shell of myself um, and, and really embrace Jamal for for all of who he was. Yeah, really interesting, man. And how long did that process take, you think? Because like you said, you know, in terms of the, the visibility of the disease, um, I, I was similar in that sense that like, you know, I, f I felt the same things. People couldn't see that I couldn't breathe, you know, and, and I always yep. felt like I wanted, I wanted to be in everything. I never yep. wanted to be that person who was like, Oh, sorry, I can't do that. You know, cause I, yes, I just can't, can't breathe right now. So in, in terms of um, the shift in mentality for you, when do you think that really took place? Man, it was a lot. It sounds like you figured out a lot sooner than I figured out. So this all happened when I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. um i had to quit so i was i was an age group swimmer I, the first sport i ever did was swimming mommy and me 10 months old joined my first swim team at age six um i was good at it i don't say that like to you know everybody yeah. was good when they were a kid right i was actually <laughs> good like i would win high points i loved it it was my favorite sport when this condition <clears throat> reared its head at age 10 i had to quit swimming um i was starting to have like different complications like uh shoulder dislocation just a lot of things that were affecting my nerves and joints and it just was advised that i that i stopped so stopped swimming at that age um started playing basketball softball different things didn't pick swimming back up until i was a sophomore in high school right so about six seven years right the sweet spot right these are the formative mm. years mm. um i like to think i missed the burnout stage that's that's what <laughs> i tell myself <laughs> you know so all throughout this time nobody knows about you know what i'm what i'm struggling with coaches, anything, swim through high school, college comes, uh, man, I'm a senior in high, I'm a senior in high school. I, mind you, I, I just won, actually, we, we're not like a crazy big division, but I just won our division championships in the 50 yard freestyle. I swam like a 24 second low, which, you know, by today's standards, it's pretty slow. It wasn't crazy fast back then either, but Hey, it was good enough to win these division championships in Los Angeles, California. So I was extremely happy and proud. That's why I swam to that point. So you, you beat everybody. Um, I beat everybody. I beat everybody. Go. I beat everybody in our conference that year. There you go. Um, at the fifty yard at, at the fifty yard freestyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was tough 
Because even, and I promise you, I'm getting to the point here. It was tough because even though I won the 50-yard freestyle for our division, I hadn't swum fast enough to make it to state championships. Mm. Um, and so, you know, just uh, that was a pretty pivotal point in my life because the officials gave me an option to swim a time trial following that race. And this just goes to show, like, the youth and, like, an experience. In my mind, I'm like, dude, let me get this straight. I just swam the absolute fastest I've ever swam in my whole life. And now, after me, you want me to get back on the locks, swim even faster, all by myself in the pool while everybody watches and they'll know if I succeed or fail. Mm. I think I'm going to pass on that. Mm. Yeah, I, I was terrified. I literally, I'm like, nah, dude, I'm not doing it. Um, and after that moment, I was just like, you know what? If I ever earn an opportunity or there's a challenge set before me, regardless of what happens, I'm going after it, you know, and easier said than done. Right. But for the most part, I've, I've been able to stay true to that. So I say all that to say I love swimming. Um, ended up going to Division three school as a as a uh, as a senior. Went to Division three school in Northeast Ohio. Swam all through NCAC Division three. Nobody ever knew about this. Um, 2016. What do you comes. mean yeah. nobody ever knew about this? Stop for a second. Like, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what are you saying? You're, you're not telling people about this condition? No, no, what? man. Like, it's one of those types of things. It's like, it's one of those types, again, because. And no one ever caught on or you, do you? you no, know? Pe people would catch on to bits and pieces. Mm. But it's like one of those things like, have you ever read a book that was more advanced than your current knowledge? Most and it's books. like right yeah right those are the best books right so it's like you kind of get bits and pieces of it and yeah. for, for for your lack of knowledge you think you got the whole story right but it's like because of what you don't know you don't know you could never fully piece this together and right. so yeah so coaches would say like man like you need to be able to dive better <laughs> you need to dive better like why why when you kick why when we just do kick drills or like does it look like you're low-key going backwards or staying in one spot? Like, why? <laughs> so why? I mean, you have a pretty personal relationship mm -hmm. with your coaches. I can understand yeah. not telling everybody, but, like, yeah. why not just go to the coach and pull him aside in the in the office and say, Coach, like, here it is, man. This is the deal, you know? And, I mean, I think the thing is, up until that point in my career, I didn't have a very personal relationship with my coaches. Okay. Um, that That's really – that's pretty much it. You know, even in Northeast Ohio, uh, I had a coach my freshman year who was swimming 21 second, 50 yard freestyles back in the seventies, mm. you know? So like, even as a young athlete, had I been more mature, I could have learned so much from that man in that time. Mm. Um, but because of my lack of maturity as an athlete, and I think, uh, just the cultural difference, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm a kid from inner city, Los Angeles. I do things a certain way. I view the world a certain way. And then this is a guy from, you know, uh, wine country, Ohio, you know, who grew up this way and that way. So I think there was in so many instances, you know, obviously we had a common goal. And, and I think they, you know, to a certain degree, definitely wanted the best for me. Right. Um, we just didn't have the relationship. And mm. it just, that's how important relationships are. Right. Like a person will never tell you something that's affecting them every day. If uh, if if you're not in the same breath, they feel so. Do you regret going to school there, picking that school? No, man, not not at all, not at all, man. Because it was a uh, that was it was a great decision at the time. Like, uh, just again to give you some some context about just, dude, I'm 
I'm insanely insane. Like as a senior in high school, I had several schools that were giving me full ride academic scholarships. Um, but none of them had swim teams. Mm. And I turned down all of these offers uh, because I'm like, listen, I'm not staying in California. I got to leave here um, and I got to have a swim team. So I'm like, I'm either getting that or I'll just go to junior college and be on the swim team. I don't right. care. But like, I'm not settling for anything in between. <laughs> um, Why'd you want to get out of California? <clears throat> just experience, man. Life. Right. That's it. Just yeah. uh, experience life. Really that simple. Get away from home. Have some real autonomy. Um, even though college is still like this bubble, you know. Can I make it on my own for a little bit? You know, what's it like out here? Yeah. Um, and as fate would have it, one of my friends actually got a Division three football scholarship to this school. He went out and met with the football coaches at some dinner. Parents talking. They meet the swim coach at this dinner. They mentioned me. The swim coach calls me. He's like, hey, I heard you want to swim in college. I got a few dollars off the record if you want to come out here. So, boom, I'm like, okay. Literally, this is June of my senior year. I've already graduated, had no college plans, and now I'm flying to Northeast Ohio, sight unseen, <laughs> to be a collegiate swimmer. Uh, so That's the way to do it, man. It's quite a deal, you know? So, I mean, it, it's great, man. Uh, I learned I learned so much there, you know? Uh, I'll be going back to college soon um, online to finish my degree, but, you know, uh, it's expensive experience, but of life and friendship and connections things that i learned about myself during that time invaluable yeah yeah so when, invaluable. when when was the the shift then uh from being kind of just a collegiate athlete who was struggling to kind of you know hide some things from people around you to being like okay i'm i'm this like super yeah. athlete paralympian like you know when did this when did this shift happen cool. So that that's like a two year gap there, man. So right. at, tw at 2016, I'm a junior in college, mm -hmm. and 2016, this is Rio Games, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so up until this point, full transparency, I've been hee hawing as a swimmer. In high school, I was literally a seasonal swimmer, so I'm swimming three, four months out the year. In college, I went from four to five to like eight months out the year. So my junior year, I put in eight months of the year, mm -hmm. uh, which for me was unheard of. I'm like. I'm ready for conference championships. My parents fly out to Ohio. I'm at the conference championships. And I just have, dude, I just have a shit show of a performance. Mm. Um, I'm swimming like a few hundreds faster than I was three years ago in high school. Don't make any finals. Um, we're a super small school. So, like, we have probably about 13 men and women total on the team. And we're going against teams like Denison and Kenyon mm. who have, like, 70 athletes that could all really be swimming D1. Uh, so <laughs> we're getting demolished in the team events. I'm like one of the fast athletes on our team. I'm making us look bad. And uh, it was just heartbreaking, man. Like I had never, I have literally never been so heartbroken and embarrassed in my life. And I'm crying on the bus back to school. I'm in a light depression once we get back to school. And I realize if I care this much about swimming, maybe I should just try and make this my career. Mm. Um, and so in an instant, I had an epiphany like, okay, 2016, I'm a junior physics major at this time. You know what? Bunk physics, man. If I want to have a chance at making the Olympic team, mind you, because I'm still in this kind of a uh, delusional state, right? If I, if I want to make the Olympic team by 2020, I cannot waste another year here. So calling my parents say, hey, look, 
I can't come back here as a senior. I gotta, I gotta find the greatest sprint coach in the world. Um, at that time, this is no shade to him. I don't think he's any anything less now. But I found Dave Salo, and Dave Salo mm -hmm. just happened to be the head coach at USC at that time. Mm -hmm. I called up Dave a couple times. I tell him my story. I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm dropping out of college to come and swim for you on the pro team. Dave Salo says, dude, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Do not do it. Please do not do it. Um, and after a few calls with Dave Salo, he kind of he got the gist of my character. It's like, dude, look, I'm coming. So you can either be telling me no at the gate of the pool every day or you can just say yes now and we can just kind of <laughs> move along with it. You know, let me get out of your hair. Um, so uh, swim at Dave Salo for a year. 2017 comes. I learned a lot, learned a lot of Olympians, even even during my time at Dave Saylor, right? Some of the greatest trained coaches and athletes in the world, they would be saying things like, man, like at, for some, they're like, man, is it a mobility thing? Like, why why don't your legs bend this way? Why can't you really kick? They're looking me up and down. They're like, dude, you're a physical specimen. Of course, so they're kind of catching on a little bit. They're catching on a little bit, but like no, no more than really anyone else prior. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm. oh, you're. I'm looking at you. Sure, we can help you swim a 21-second, 50-yard freestyle. Mm -hmm. Look at this guy. You know what I'm saying? Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not happening, right? And so train with them for a year, and at this point, I'm hyper-focused, dude. I feel like I've wasted time in high school. Um, I feel like I've wasted time in college. And I've just been to year here. I've just been one of the four years that I have to make this team at USC. I'm not any faster. Okay, I'm on the lookout for something new. And uh, I go to a meet at UCLA, and this is where that change happens. I meet a coach there. Her name is Wilma Wong. Uh, one of the former Trojan athletes, Luke Peckman, introduced me to her. And I tell her, hey, I want to go to Olympic trials. Again, similar experience. She looks me up and down. She's like, Jamal, I think we can get you to Olympic trials. Um, swim with her for a whole year. She's trying everything. I'm not improving. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. Finally, after an entire year of training, we're in spring of 2018 now. She comes to me and she says, look, I've been looking at you. I've been watching you swimming. The times are, I don't even know how to collect data on you. Like this, this is, this is so frustrating. But when I see you get out of the pool and I see you try and dive off the blocks and I see you even pick up your leg to get out of the car, you remind me of my cerebral palsy patients. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, this was the moment. And I'm like, get this. I get this goofy smile on my face, man, like, wow, finally I've been seen, you know, like, finally now I don't feel like I'm making an excuse, you know, like someone someone has seen this. Mm. And so I, I feel free now. I feel like this weight has been lifted so I can acknowledge it and I can talk about it. And so I say to her, you know, funny story, I'm actually dealing with this type of neuropathy called Charcot Marie Tooth and, and I explain it to her and there's no cure for it at this time. And so still even to present and so she says to me well look jamal unless we can cure this we may want to shift our focus from the olympics to the paralympics mm. and you know um i want to pass it right back to you brother brett but just let me say at that point in time in spring of 2018 if someone had asked me are olympic and paralympic athletes equal like do they deserve equal rights equal pay equal treatment like most people in this PC world, I would have said absolutely. But as soon as she said that, you know, you're a part of this, you know, marginalized group, my entire demeanor and attitude changed. 
as politely as possible. I told her, don't ever say that to me again. You know, she was questioning who I, this persona, I had built this false identity. I, she was challenging that at its core. Um, I said, no, I will not be joining the Paralympics. I will not be investigating that. And I don't ever want to talk about it again. And she let it go. Wow. Oh, I thought that story was going to go the other way. No. I thought you were going to say, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm in. Man. No. Oh, said no. I said no. Oh, yeah. Wow. I was not interested. I was offended, actually. I was I was highly offended. Really? Wow. So you, you had really built this belief in yourself that I am not different. I'm I'm as normal as the next person. Right? Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. That's, yeah. that's pretty incredible, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, I mean, when you speak about relationship, uh, that's one, that's one thing I love about Wilma Wong, you know, uh, it's like Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi, you know, Mike and Phil, Kobe and Phil, Mike and, Mike and Bowman, you know, whatever, whoever you want to mm -hmm. say, Serena and Papa Bear, um, it's a real partnership, mm -hmm. you know, like there was a real mutual respect. We're both grown people, you know, like obviously she's the coach. And I've put her in that position, right? So that that means I have a certain responsibility to trust her, right? Right. Um, but at the same pace, I think again, like you mainly see this in age group, but uh, I think even still, you can see it like with adult athletes. Some coaches are like dictator, authoritarian. You know, like it's my way or the highway, and I'm just not for that. Like I got way too much independent thinking to <laughs> to, to just be having the whip cracked on me. So. Uh, she respected my decision at that time and continued to work with me at this time dude again i'm a college dropout i'm hustling here and there to try and make this dream possible i'm paying this woman maybe at most during that time 40 dollars a week mm, wow. and she's showing up 6 a.m spending time with me throughout the whole day feeding me um and continues to still work with me even after i say you know, yeah, we may be able to go over here and do something, but I don't care. I'm not doing it. Um, and so that's what we did for the next six months. We just continued to train as if nothing had happened. One of our good friends, uh, well, he's become a good friend. His name is Lewis Clifford. He's a breaststroker out of Britain. He came out to train with us, right? So we have our own facility. We're training. He comes out to train with us. And, he, you know, he's a breaststroker. He's a pretty good for sprint freestyler now, actually. He didn't have the best trials. It's all right, brother, but he's pretty good. <laughs> Um, you know, so across 25 meters, 25 yards outside of the absolute world class, I, I can hold my own pretty fairly. You know what I'm saying? Like to be swimming, to be swimming like a 25 across 50 meters, you know, like, you know, it's, it's pretty quick. It's pretty quick. So I'm usually at least in the race, the first 25 yards, 25 meters. Mm -hmm. Um, but we get up on the blocks, we dive in off the dive. He's already two meters ahead of me. Right. Because he's done this beautiful, powerful dive and I've done this well-practiced, just kind of slip into the water, right? like zero leg drive. And we come back and we watch the video and he's like, dude, did you know your legs don't work? And I'm like, <laughs> right, right. just the most casual, the most casual experience. Like, did you know your legs don't work? Like, I didn't. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. He's like, oh, bro, you you got to check out the Paralympics. I've got a friend that's blind. I got that, that, that. Dude, you would kill it. You got to do it. You got to do it. And uh, again, I have this shift in, in body language. And he's like, oh, did I say something I wasn't supposed to say here? <laughs> I excuse myself from practice. And I just take a little inventory, talk to myself, have a little prayer real quick. And it's just like, look, dude, in the past 
14 years, only two people have ever seen you enough to really, you know, like call this out. And it's all been in the past six months. Mm. There's something bigger at play here than just your ego and pride. You need to go ahead and investigate this and check it out. Mm -hmm. um, and so at that point, that was like August of 2018. That's when I set out for the Paralympic track. That's when I went to my first Paralympic meet. And uh, earlier that year, I had on my vision board, I want to win a national championship this year. Later that year in the Paralympics, I won my first national championship. Um, and, and from there, it wasn't an easy journey, but that's like when we really started to pick up the momentum. Wow. Well, that's why I'm late to the party, because you're late to the party, too, man. I'm late to the party, too. <laughs> man, man. Yeah, man. So we're talking about 2018. Yeah. When I'm really even on the Paralympic scene in the tiniest, tiniest way. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you, the last three years have been just uh, whirlwind, and, you know, you, you've, you've done some things then. I mean – to be going to the Paralympics now and to be signed by Speedo and man, from what I can tell, you're up on billboards in LA, man. <laughs> I've seen these billboards. You got like these uh, 50 feet billboards all over LA, man. Absolutely, man. Hey, shout out to Speedo, man. Shout out to Speedo. Um, you know, I'm somebody that like, I think one of my greatest superpowers is transparency. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I'll say this, like uh, having... Again, it's only been three years, but having put so much blood, sweat, and tears into building my personal brand and my identity over the three years, um, you know, and 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 honestly, just kind of coming up, being weary of larger brands, you know, of, mm -hmm. of brands that, you know, just like music industry giants, right? Like, they want the art, but not the artist, right? Like, right. you know, um, so I was pretty weary coming into that Speedo deal, uh, and I, I really had to exercise just a good amount of faith and trust, you know, uh, entering that relationship. And, um, I'm happy that I did, honestly, I'm happy that I did. Uh, you know, they, they've been a great partner thus far. And well, we're like, what, three months, four months into our deal. We still got a lot of time and opportunity to do some amazing thing and reach people. So shout out to Speedo for, for taking a shot on the kid. Absolutely, man. Good stuff for them. Now tell me about this. Tell me about swim uphill, man. When did this whole, uh, movement start? Yeah, man, that's 2018 is the year. 2018 was the year of inception. So national championships 2018, I'm standing on that podium. I've got this medal, you know, these medals around my neck. And shout out to, uh -oh, shout out to this guy right here, Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. um, I'm standing on this podium and I'm just thinking to myself, like, dang, I see my career ahead of me. I'm going, I'm going to Tokyo. I'm going to Paris. I'm going to L.A. You know, I'm, I'm going to be that hometown kid that, that's had this career. And I want to offer more to my family, to myself, to my community, to the world at large than just a smiling face with medals around my neck. Mm -hmm. Like, how can I offer more? And up until that point, um, you know, I'd been a lifeguard. I've worked as a lifeguard in L.A. city pools for like almost the past 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Since I was like 14, 15, um, had a big history in swim education, swim lessons. I had a lot of industry insights. And so I don't know, you're probably familiar with it, but maybe the listeners are not too familiar with this concept called the Eulerian destiny, which is essentially a Venn diagram. So like you take the thing that you were good at as a kid, what you've been doing for the last 10 years, what you can um, speak about endlessly for hours and, and maybe this aspect of something the world needs. And so as I'm thinking about this again, just all in an instant on the podium, I'm like, you know what? We're growing this brand. I have a lot of swim education. I have a lot of experience. 
I've seen things that work and that don't work. I've seen the elitist nature of swimming and kind of the exclusivity of learn to swim culture. I'm going to teach a million people how to swim. That's what I'm going to do. That's going to be my mark on this world. I'm going to teach a million people how to swim. And initially, mind you, this is just a marketing ploy. Like, I'm serious about it. I mean it. But it's like a big part of it is a marketing ploy. I'm like, a million is a great number. How to be a millionaire is the most popular thing out right now. So we're sticking with this million number. And it's going to help us get pressed and obviously move this mission forward. But um, the more I ruminated on it, I realized, man, this million people number isn't isn't really all that big, man. Every single year around the world, there's a quarter of a million to a million people drowning. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty much all in low to middle income communities and countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, okay, so so we're really on to something here. And uh, again, just shout out to my coach, who's at this point become not only my coach, but my business partner. Uh, she says to me, well, if we want to teach a million people how to swim, we're going to have to get real good at teaching swim lessons, right? How do we meet people where they are? How do we, you know, reach people who have a fear of water, who have uh, generational traumas around the water? How mm-hmm. do we reach people who don't have access to pools necessarily? How do we reach people who don't have the money to, to pay for the private coaches, this, that, and the other? And so we developed this system called the Swim Uphill Method. Um, the, you know, pretty much the heart of it is across five hours, um, we have people learn how to breathe, how to time their head with their arms in a beginning breaststroke with just household items like a bowl, bench, bucket, sink, bathtub, whatever have you. And then once they have those skills and they have met the certain time standard within our uh, within our curriculum, we bring them into the pool. We teach them how to sink. And then from there, they kind of do a breaststroke from this sinking position at the bottom of the pool to the surface. And then once they have that and they can time the breath. You know, obviously from there, it's a real cakewalk. So just really uh, removing this mysticism, this like idea that learning to swim is rocket science um, from the learn to swim community and uh, open it up to the masses. So, you know, since that's happened, it's, it's really evolved into a full nonprofit organization. We have a board of directors, you know, we receive five, three, four, five. Um, we haven't reached our six figure donations yet, but, uh, you know, people are supporting this mission. We're doing the work. Um, this year, we're slated to teach 500. Uh, next year, 2000. And by 2028, we should be at an annual mark teaching 1 million people annually. Um, and primarily, that happens through our licensing program. So uh, we work with city governments here in Los Angeles County, East Bay County, and we're expanding outside of the state, again, to essentially uh, save city governments, county gov- county governments, um, even private uh, private swim lesson providers time and money uh you know with our system to allow them to obviously reach more people but do so uh with with a less uh fiscal fiscal hit and impact um on their operation and so we've had a great start uh really appreciate you asking about that and shouting it out so uh that's swim uphill in a nutshell man we're just uh we're changing the world one uh one swimmer at a time well, man, you got an incredible um, personal story, but I think you've you've made a bigger impact in life by you know affecting the lives of. It's going to be a million people here soon, so yes, um, you know, look, drowning is a huge problem all around the world. Um, yes, sir. Where do people find more information about the organization? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, www.swimuphill.org. Swimuphill.org. 
or you can just type in swim uphill spell out dot org uh on instagram facebook twitter uh our instagram profile is probably the the greatest used um excuse me and, and if i may here uh brother brett uh, so, so a lot of people who come to us, you know, again, especially in the light of COVID now and, uh, uh, you know, George Floyd, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, Asian hate, everybody's like all these governments and entities. Hey, we need some black and brown lifeguards, you know, like mm-hmm. how do we get more people into this space? How do we in- increase, you know, economic development and job employment? And when these organizations come to us, we lay out this we lay out this structure and, and I'm tying this back into professional swimming when we talk about economic verticals. Um, you know, we tell them, look, you're asking about this endpoint, which is having a lifeguard that's, you know, black or brown in this community that's predominantly black and brown. But when we go back down this funnel, right? How many black and brown kids are learning how to swim in this community? Mm-hmm. How many black and brown kids, you know, <laughs> are being pulled into the system? You have to have a funnel to create this end product. You don't just go, there's not just this magical land of lifeguards that that didn't learn how to swim somewhere, right? So helping these organizations build the infrastructure through steps one and two to meet step number three. Um, And, you know, and again, really talking about economic empowerment. And I saw you put up on your uh, social media the other day that really stuck with me. Um, And forgive me, I missed the context a little bit. But you were talking about how people have been hitting you up um, to kind of highlight how I think ISL athletes hadn't been paid yet or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you shouted out like, hey, like, uh, why aren't you guys hitting up that new like monetary fund for swimmers that, that's supposed to handle things like this? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if we may, I just wanted to spend like some of the last time we had here really talking about, uh, I think, just how this sport of swimming forgive me for this matter of factness needs to evolve on a certain level to allow athletes to be able to you know make money from their skills and talents in these arenas um, and yeah 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 you know so i mean even even one thing i think about is uh like nascar or, or let's just say like floyd mayweather right like with so many regulation and this is bigger than, you know, America or Australia or Britain, even just like shouting out FINA, you know, all love and respect FINA. Um, but it's like, when I think about, let's just say Floyd Mayweather and NASCAR, you know, Floyd Mayweather from that last fight he had with the YouTuber, he's like, just off my swim, off my swim trunks, off my boxing trunks alone. I made $20 million from people putting their logos on my trunks, right? They paid me just from the trunks that I wore to play in the ring tonight. I made $20 million. And when we look at NASCAR and we see those vehicles, right? How much are they able to make through sponsors and the visibility of sponsors? Whereas, you know, again, in swimming, you're capped at one logo, right? Like I I get to have one logo on anything I wear, Um, you know, and, and obviously there's a lot of different things in place that limit the earning potential and capacity of of athletes in the aquatic space but i just want to get your thoughts on that brother listen man i think it's been a fight for 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 many years you know i was one of those um starving athletes professional athletes back in the day look it's nice to have a situation now where there is a professional swim league up and Mm -hmm. running you know and and i'm a supporter of it and i hope they continue to be, be challenged and continue to do a better job with it 
Um, I still don't think there's enough black athletes in it, man. We need more. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Listen, man, I come from a country, you know, that's predominantly white. So when I came over to America myself, I was amazed at how many incredible black athletes there were in all these other sports. I mean, I went to a football school. I went to Auburn University, you know, like the football team there, predominantly black, exceptional athletes, the basketball team, you know. But there's just not enough swimmers, man. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, the, why – and what you're doing now is going to ultimately funnel – more black athletes into swimming because you're teaching them how to swim now, which is incredible, which is what we need. But yeah, I mean, I don't think swimmers are getting paid enough, but I don't think there is um, enough black athletes either. So, I, I mean, I've got my own issues with swimming. I think it needs to continue to evolve, but, you know, just telling your story and hearing you speak makes me feel good because I know that there's someone with intelligence, there's someone who's professional, there's someone who is driven who's going to make something happen. You know, there's a lot of people that talk a lot and yes, they don't sir. do much. You don't seem to be one of those guys to me. You seem to be one of those guys that um, puts action behind everything that you do. No doubt about it. So, um, you know, I appreciate it, it, that. sir. I, you hit the nail on the head. It encouraged <laughs> me a lot to have someone like you on this show, dressed the way you are right now, speaking the way you are, performing the way you are. Yes, sir. You know, um, you remind me of, of uh, black excellence at its best, man. So um, oh, I appreciate that, man. You ask anybody that, I tell you, I'm the quickest person to blush. That's all. <laughs> <I appreciate laughs> but listen, you're doing you're doing amazing stuff, man. I'm I'm uh, like I said, I was late to the party, but I'm a huge fan. And anything I can do for you to help in any way, I'm here for you. But um, I'm just going to be supporting and cheering from the sideline. When are you When are you taking off to Tokyo? Great question. We're leaving August the 14th. Uh, we're headed over to forgive me with all my, you know, studying my geography skills are subpar. So the way I understand it, Japan is a collection of small islands. Um, and so we'll be going to a military base uh, uh, well, within this island chain and we'll be there for 10 days. Uh, and then we'll move into the village, most likely by ferry um, on August the 24th. And uh, once I'm there um, on day number Four of competition, I'll be swimming up. I'll remind you again, I'm an S9. I'll be swimming up a weight class in the S10 100-meter freestyle. Uh, the the theory, the the mindset behind that is, you know, again, another opportunity to compete. But also, you already know, like, when you only have one race, it's, it's hard to get the jitters out. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. even at the highest yeah. level, like, it's nice to be able to have a swim um, to just get acclimated and really leave it all in the pool. So I have that 100-meter freestyle. You know, I'll definitely swim prelims, depending on what I do, it will let me know if I make finals or not. But then the next day is the 50 meter freestyle and uh, I'll swim prelims for that. And again, nothing is guaranteed. Right. So depending upon what I do in, in prelims, you know, we'll, we'll go to finals and just to have one of those lanes. Uh, so after day five, nothing guaranteed about a relay yet. Um, full transparency, our men's U.S. Paralympic swimming team is not competitive as far as relays go. Uh, I think even if like everyone dropped five seconds on our relay, we would probably still only be in position for fifth place. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, there's no guarantees there, but um, as I'm sure you've heard with a lot of the Olympic athletes, there's a 48 hour rule in effect. Uh, so after your last event, 
uh, you'll have to vacate the country within 48 mm. hours. Okay. So um, open ceremonies will be something to behold, but closing ceremonies, I imagine, are going to be mostly virtual. I don't know mm. how that's going to work, but uh, that's it. Well, listen, man, um, either way, enjoy the experience. You know, yes, this, is, uh, this is a life experience. Um, I'm happy that you're getting it. There was times where we weren't sure whether it was going to happen at all. So um, soak it all in. Um, yes, enjoy it. And and use it as a stepping stone to the to the next one. And yes, um, uh, I wouldn't want to be one of your competitors with your mindset. I know that. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, man. Like I said, big fan, Jamal. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Love it, and uh, appreciate your time today, man. Thank you, brother Brett. Man, hey, anytime I can come on to your show, you let me know. I'll be here. I appreciate it. Oh, cool, man. Thanks. All right, take care. All right. All right. Adios. Bye.